Hello, and welcome to Tell Us Your Story, a new podcast from the Institute of Public Affairs. I'm Kian Hussey, Research Fellow at the IPA and the host of this show. In this series, I talk to Australian entrepreneurs to hear their story. We'll discuss what inspired them to start their own business and explore the insights and advice they want to share with enterprising young Australians who wish to create their own opportunities and success. Entrepreneurship and risk-taking are central to the Australian way of life. Despite this, Australians are increasingly seeking the comfort of employment over what's seen as the risky and uncertain path of business creation. But entrepreneurs are needed now more than ever. Don't let your dreams be dreams. The COVID-19 pandemic has exacerbated many structural issues, especially for younger Australians who've been at a disadvantage since the global financial crisis. Our future prosperity, our democracy and our very way of life depend on enterprising and innovative Australians. It's vital that we unlock their potential. Today I'm talking to Dr. Sam Prince. Sam is a medical doctor, entrepreneur and philanthropist. He's the founder of the Zambrero Mexican restaurant chain, which he started as a 21-year-old medical student, along with a range of other businesses under the Prince Group portfolio. Sam's a dedicated philanthropist, notably through the Plate for Plate initiative and his non-profit One Disease. Sam, thanks for joining me on Tell Us Your Story. How are you today? I'm really well, really well. I've just kind of come out of uh, quarantine. I've kind of travelled from the US uh, back to Australia, so I've gone through that process, and it's been yeah, it's been it's been fine. Must be nice now getting out of out of the fourteen days isolation, getting out <laughs> to the think community. You end up with a bit of like Stockholm syndrome, where you kind of go, you know what, I'm I'm, I'm actually enjoying this time alone, just to <laughs> kind of read and, and and not be bugged by too many people. So yeah, um, now kind of it's hard to get um, time to myself. So I'm, I'm kind of missing it a bit. Yeah, 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 it's just one of those things, I guess. So. Like I, I kind of mentioned at the top, you're involved with a number of different um, businesses and organizations, but it all started with Zambrero. Um, so can you take us back to when you started the business um, back in 2005 um, and, and why you started it and what that whole experience was like? Uh, yeah, well, you know, going back, that's now 15 years ago, right? And so um, that is, yeah, a time when I was in, in university and um, prior to that, uh, kind of grew up in in Canberra, born in Scotland, um, and and really uh, at that point I was kind of just going through medical school. I enjoyed it uh, immensely, but I remember this quote by uh, Steven Spielberg who said that intuition whispers in your ear; it rarely yells. And for me, uh, what it was whispering was that you know medicine was not going to be my entire life. That <clears throat> indeed. Uh, there was going to be something more. And what it was whispering at that point was um, entrepreneurship, right? And so I had read um, Richard Branson's Losing My Virginity, another biography by a guy called John Ilhan, who, who started Crazy John's and uh, was a Melbourne entrepreneur. And, um, and, you know, at the time, basically before I'd finished reading those books, I pretty much decided that this is going to be a part of my life. And so um, started Zambrero, uh, started Zambrero uh, really while still you know studying, and um, it seemed obvious to me that um, that that Mexican food was something that was uh, in, in short supply in Australia, and and one could build a brand and, and, and franchise a brand and grow a, a business across the country. So that was kind of the, what was going on uh, for me at that time. Hmm, right. And and so before you were in university, did you ever think that you wanted to kind of be an entrepreneur or was it really when you started reading those books and thinking about that while you were studying? 
I mean, I think I trace back a bunch of kind of, I guess, enterprising kind of activity. You know, when I was a kid, um, our, our family went to garage sales and things like that. And so, um, you know, I really saw the value in things that, that others didn't see value in. Um, and it was always good fun. Like we, I did it for the fun of it. Right. And, um, you yeah, know, looked in the, the newspapers and the classified section when I wanted to buy myself a, a guitar or, or, a, or, a, or a creek bat or whatever it was. Like it was, there was, it seemed to be like this game you could play where you could purchase things from a garage sale and swap them all the way uh, up to kind of a, a new mountain bike or something like that. I remember I did a lot of that, um, growing up. And so I guess, I guess in answer to your question, I guess, it was kind of part of me. Um, and when I, when I was in medical school, um, it felt like what felt obvious to me that did not, was not obvious, I think, to my, my colleagues was that I felt like, okay, this is the worst my life can get now, right? <laughs> the worst my life can get, like if everything falls apart, I'll be a doctor, right? Which is not yeah. a bad fallback position. Definitely and not. so I felt like it was my excuse me, opportunity to, it was my opportunity to um, really, you know, live life and, and take some risks. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes sense, you know, while you're young. You often hear people say that when you're young before you have a mortgage or a family and, and you can take risks and it's and you don't have anyone depending on you um, and you have a whole lifetime to, to get a job and earn some money. That's kind of the time to risk things. Yeah, there's an illusion of, uh, there's an illusion of, of, of things holding you back and the threshold for, Taking risks or becoming an entrepreneur, I think, are at its lowest when you're when you're in. But but that's not to say there aren't a lot of challenges. So I've, I've read that you kind of had some issues with um, getting lines of credit from suppliers when you first started Zambrero because you were so young. Um, can you talk a little bit about what what the challenges you faced when you got started were, and if any of them in particular were to, were to do with you being so young? Yeah, look, I mean, look, there was lots of challenges, absolutely, and, and there continues to be challenges, I guess, with growth, but. Now Zambrero is, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a big business. It's got you know two hundred and you know ten twenty restaurants, something like that. So it's um it's growing rapidly and synchronously opening up in in the UK, um, uh, in England and, and Ireland as well as uh, you know four states across the US. So it's it's starting to become, um, you know, it's grown up like just like children do. Like they go from uh, you know primary school to to high school, to university, and Zambro definitely feels like it's in it's in law school right now. <laughs> They're doing very well, um, <clears throat> but yeah, the challenges, the lines of credit really didn't phase me because I, I mean, I just didn't, I didn't start off with people offering me lines of credit, so it was never something I missed. You know, yeah, it's something right. you had to kind of manage. Um, the the larger issues, I think, are around the wrong people, right? I mean, I think that we probably we you know. We've had great leaders. I mean, I think Karim Messi, who was kind of a guy, ex-blockbuster CEO, came in 2013, um, then succeeded by Bianca as a party. Um, really were you know, great leaders um, for Zambrero as we grew it, and, and key people helped in that, in that process. Um, and some people who were not good, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Largely, they don't miss at all. And so, <laughs> you know, and, and, and really, I would imagine that, some of the biggest challenges you have are kind of the the hiring the wrong people, people who are inexperienced, um, uh, and 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 just not right to to kind of take you to the next level. And so, and whilst you have some of those, you know, you all, you also get your Karims and your Biancas and and your others that that kind of do very well. Yeah. 
And and you kind of mentioned there how um, Zambrero is so big now, over 200 stores. Did you always see it as something that was that big or or did that kind of just come along? Um, in the beginning, I think the last, I mean, to be frank, like as a Canberra entrepreneur, you, you really look at, you look at the world through your own lens. And, and so your horizons are set from, from the place you came from. Right. And so I remember the, the, the businesses that we, that I grew up in Canberra, um, admiring the food sector, at least were Alibaba, which had, I think at its heyday, 50 or 60 restaurants and then shrunk back, um, good berries and probably, uh, I can't think of too many other brands that kind of really exceeded those numbers. So, um, Th- those numbers seemed like the, the pinnacle of what was achievable, right? Yeah. So it didn't, a hundred, for instance, has never happened out of Canberra. And so right. when we crossed a hundred, I mean, we we're crossing, I guess, my wildest dreams in terms of what was possible. And then we quickly got to 200. And now I think we're going to race ahead um, to numbers um, that are an order of magnitude beyond that. Right. So it, it's, it's, it's exciting to um, be part of this. And, and really now I think it's less about what my vision is. Um, it's, it's really about kind of rather than trying to wrap my ambition around a marketplace, right? I think it's around, um, it's really letting a marketplace wrap its ambition around us, right? Mm. And so that is um, what we're doing. And now because we have product market fit effectively in, in across um, the UK as well as the US, then you know we will do everything we can to delight customers um, as much as they want us, and, and that. But that still does talk to numbers of thousands of restaurants. Yeah, and, and it's not only um, about the restaurants and the, and the number of restaurants that there are. I know the the plate for plate um, initiative is really important for you, and I'm sure listeners who are familiar with Zambrero would know about it. But can you just talk a little bit about that and um, and, yeah, and look, why I mean, you started I, I that? Think- Speaking candidly, I, I had the two weeks of, in quarantine, right? So I got to kind of, um, I was reading a lot of Nietzsche and Jung, right? And, and having very honest conversations with myself about why we did this in the first place. And speaking candidly, um, the reasons why I did it earlier uh, in my life have changed, right? And so um, when I was 21, um, you know, when I was uh, just becoming a doctor and the Plate for Plate program effectively started, um, really after I had done work overseas um, in Sri Lanka and uh, and also um, other parts of Asia, the Plate for Plate program really was born out of an extension of this work um, in my belief in education and healthcare. Now, the truth is I didn't really know what the hell I was doing, right? And, and yeah. I remember talking in front of the UN, right? And people were like, hey, you're really you know, good guy, you're doing good things and you should speak in front of these people and inspire them. And I kind of, and I talked about it and I was like, blah, blah, blah. And like, now I listen to that speech. I'm like, get out of here. Like, <laughs> like what do you know as, as a 23 year old kid, right? The mm. truth is that, you know, you do these things because, um, you know, you, because all 23 kids are kind of lost. Right. And, I was talented and I wanted to find the right amount of challenge for that talent. Um, I wanted to, to do the right thing. And also let's be real, like let's be, be perceived as doing the right thing, right? And yeah, doing things yeah. that reflect back and, and, and reflect well on you was definitely part of it, undeniably, right? Also there was my, my story of my family, which I was discovering. Um, and as I got older, 
right, in my mid-20s, the, the reason why we started One Disease, it was a different story again, right, and a different reason. And that was effectively around identity, right? And I'm, I'm Australian, Scottish-born, kind of, you know, Aussie doctor with Sri Lankan heritage running a chain of Mexican restaurants. At some point, <laughs> you're going to have to think about identity. And yeah. identity for me was um, Australian, right? Very proud to be Australian, love this country, and 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 for that reason, um, hey, look, there's there's a part of our history that we're trying to forget. There's a there's a there's a reason why we have prosperity, and some and some of it has come at the cost of a group of people, the first people here, right? And so, um, that part of our identity um, and my identity, right? We had to kind of, I had to look at it and. And that was the beginning of, of one disease and where we aim to eliminate the disease out of this country. It was bold, right? When we started this, when, um, as I said, when I was kind of mid-20s, um, that was around identity. And, and now, as I got older, you know, part of it is actually, I mean, I was ticked off, right? I was ticked off that, that, my, um, you know, that my parents came here when we were very young. We had pigment in our skin. And that for you know that same pigment that that uh, uh, or similar pigment that runs through the skin of Aboriginal people that their lives and their and their trajectories are blunted just by virtue of the color of their skin right that kind of ticked me off it was actually more anger than anything mm. else actually that that kind of drove me I think maybe my last twenties then in my kind of early thirties yeah until now it's been more it's been something different again. Right. And yeah. so it, it's, it's changed many times. Um, and, um, and again, I think you just have to have an honest conversation uh, with yourself in the mirror. Uh, otherwise it just, you know, it, it, it fails to drive you. Hmm. And, and so you've kind of spoken there about some of the, um, some of the ph- philanthropy that you're involved in, but can you talk about some of the other businesses as well? So I understand you're still kind of connected to the medical um, world as well. Um, can you kind of give us a brief overview of some of the other businesses yeah, sure. that so you have? Brief orientating statements. Let me set the table for you. So Zebra was 100% owned by me, has been from day one. And yeah. it's, it's so therefore it's still um, an important part of my, my day and my life. Um, we then opened up um, Mexico for those who, for your listeners in, in Sydney, Mexico, Indu and Kid Kyoto, which are kind of Mohayan restaurants. Um, and, uh, and we opened those uh, kind of at the same time we started our aid organization, One Disease, which is an Aboriginal aid organization where we aim to eliminate the disease out of this country and we've been successful, right? And that was um, myself and a few colleagues, uh, one Brian Schmidt, the Nobel laureate, um, and a few other amazing people who, who um, you know, really got behind this and we've, we've actually executed that. Um, and in that, we found that the skills required to open up a restaurant business were the exact same skills required to eliminate the disease, which was inspiring for us. Um, then um, we went into healthcare, a for-profit business called Next Practice, that um, that really builds the future of health uh, in, in this country and probably the world, where health and technology colliding together and we've, we've built that that out and opening up clinics now around the country an IVF business and electronic health business. Like it's, it's, it's the health part of our business is, is starting to really gather steam. Um, we have uh, my, my, my first apprentice, Stephen Chapman, um, actually started a, a, a drink business called Shine, a nootropics drink, which is now a national business and soon to be international. Yeah. Um, and his apprentice uh, 
we started a an organization called Zappard Hire, which is kind of a a, a TikTok meets kind of like a LinkedIn business. Huh. Where yeah. um, and that's we actually uh, <laughs> we've actually grown that very rapidly. So that's actually one of the fastest part of that business is the technology business, um, as well as a new technology business that we're that we're we're about to kind of float uh, as well. Um, so really, it's been a, a busy time for us as, as our organization has moved in, you know, from hospitality to technology, in aid work, um, and in healthcare. And so, yeah, we, we've been we've been busy over the last period, the last ten years. And, and so, what do, what does your average day look like with so many different things going on? I mean, each of the organizations has a CEO and an executive team. Um, so, my role is. Sometimes I think you're a player. Sometimes you can get a coach. Sometimes you're the, the kind of person um, really just cheering on your guys from the sideline, right? And so I can yeah. kind of flip between each of these things depending on which organization. I, I feel like I'm more involved in the in the early stage stuff. Um, and, um, yeah, we have a think tank and a research team that does a whole bunch of um, thinking about entrepreneurship. We have solid thought in, the, on the, in that field for some some years now, including a published paper and a few other things. So it's an interesting um, mix of things. And I think that the thing that grabs my wrist and directs me where to go is, is kind of um, what, what the, the business needs or what the customers need in the business. And also what I'm kind of thinking about in the, in the next five or 10 years as, as, as things have become clearer for me and, and my role in it. But it's a, it's a mix of things. I try and, I try and, uh, um, be deliberate about my day. I'm, I'm conscious of every kilojoule that I use. I want to make it um, a productive use of that time. And, and so you've kind of brought up the entrepreneurship thing there. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, the program that you're on, Sudoku, um, what that is and, and how that works? Um, because, yeah, I understand you're very passionate about um, entrepreneurship and, and young people becoming entrepreneurs. So I'm interested in, in that. Yeah, so Sudoku in itself has had quite a change. Um, in the beginning, um, Sudoku was kind of going to be an aid organization. And um, we've had, I mean, what's fascinating about the group, right? So, I mean, entrepreneurship and, and enterprise is, is real with failure. Something like hospitality, you have, I think it's 80% failure in, in 18 months or something like that. It's very high. Um, and the interesting thing about us is Zambrero has been very successful. Mexico is very successful. Indu has been very successful. Kid Kyoto has been very successful. One Disease has been very successful. Shine has been very successful. Uh, Next has been very successful. And most likely now Zappa will be very successful. It's eight and O, right? We have actually never lost. It's interesting. It's interesting that there's something that we do and we actually created a curriculum and then started actually putting people through it. Um, Stephen Chapman from Shine was my first um, really formal apprentice. Um, and we realized that there's something about the way we train our soldiers um, and the way we actually uh, approach enterprise and entrepreneurship that is different. And so it then became a, uh, an internal program, right? So we run this now internally um, and we're very passionate about, about, about what it is, the people we put through it. We have kind of like a competitive cadetship so young people who want to learn how to be entrepreneurs uh, go through that competitive cadetship. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it's something that we're passionate about. 
And and so one of the big debates is whether um, entrepreneurship can be taught or whether it's something that comes innately to some yeah. people. Um, where where do you fall on that, and, and how does that fit in? With, I fall in a very this? solid place. I'm curious to to reflect that question back to you. What do you think? Uh, I I think that there's perhaps a spark in a lot of people. Um, you have uh, a bit of a spark that you want to um, start a business or you you want to have some um, ownership or some control over something. Um, but I think as well, there's there's definitely parts of it that can be taught. Um, you can obviously the you know the practical side of running a business. I feel like you can teach people some of that, but I feel like there has to be some kind of spark there to begin with. And what what do you think the definition of entrepreneurship is? I think it's seeing a problem or seeing an opportunity um, and realizing how you can. So if you see an opportunity, how you can take advantage of it, or if you see a problem, how you can fix it, and then um, trying to to do that. Um, you don't necessarily have to be successful, I don't think. Um, but and and I think with a lot of entrepreneurs, it's it's not. You know, a lot of them aren't so lucky that it's eight and zero. Um, a lot of them, it's it's you know one and thirty. Um, yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, you don't necessarily have to be successful, but I think that. Um, you have to have a willingness to try. Yeah, I mean, this is the, look. I come from. I wear two hats, right? As a doctor and also an entrepreneur. And I'm very proud to be a doctor because, frankly, we don't have this these questions, right? I mean, our, our field 150 years ago, you know, the the big novel questions that I mean, truly novel questions were hey, were hey, <laughs> Charles Darwin would say, hey, I, I I think we come from apes, right? I think we're connected to apes. 150 years later, we're not talking about that anymore, right? Like we, we, we understand fields like genetics, right? We're sequencing genomes now because we don't debate the definition of genetics, right? Now take that hat off and I put my entrepreneurial hat on. The question that you asked me was the same question asked 150 years ago, right? Around the time of Rockefeller, Soros, Rex, and, you know, uh, Carnegie, is it innate or can it be taught, right? And what I find, right, is that you have to start with the first question. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by entrepreneur? What's your definition of that, right? Because you, this is the other thing that you actually quickly face is that everyone has a different definition and that matters. It matters what your definition is, right? And what I hear, and you actually ask this question, if you ask entrepreneurs, whether it can be taught, they often say that it cannot, right? And I think that comes from, right, they don't want to feel uh, normal. They want to feel special. They don't want to feel like what they do is something that anyone can do, right? I was, you know, Brian Schmidt, who's on our board and a, a colleague and friend, he, he won the Nobel Prize for Physics. He would say, I put the entire universe together merely through observation. He observed, right? And he observed uh, faraway stars and he, he extrapolated the, the sense that the universe is expanding at the speed of light. And I did the same thing in entrepreneurship to find a definition, right? Rather than debate it with a whole bunch of entrepreneurs or academics that watched uh, the game of entrepreneurship from the beach, right? And never actually got in the water. Um, my view is that entrepreneurship is about having an idea, right? Right. Making that idea real, right? And then having that adopted by other people. Right. Okay. And yeah. importantly, that's important, right? Because that—that's when you ask people the question. That's what I'm referring to. 
And mm. that is importantly an activity, not an identity, right? Yeah. And it's right now the world is confused about whether it's an activity or an identity, right? It's like basketball, right? If you if you talk to Michael Jordan, you say you might say, "Hey, what do you do?" And he'll say, "I'm a basketball player." Are you saying, <laughs> "You know, I'm Michael freaking Jordan," right? Yeah. And then you might say, oh, "I'm sorry, Mr. Jordan. I'm sorry, I didn't recognize you." But do you mind? I'd love to see you play a game. When can I see you play a game of, of basketball? Right? And he would look at you cockeyed, going, "I'm Michael Jordan. I am basketball." And the truth <laughs> is that basketball is a sport. It's an activity. But some people mm. love it so much that they find an identity through it, right? Yeah. Like Michael Jordan, right? Mm. But the truth is that it was always an activity. It was always four quarters, regulation ball, 10-foot pole, right? 10-foot ring. And if you get the ball in for a certain point, you get points, right? So it's it's an activity. Let's never forget that. Entrepreneurship is the same. It's an yeah. activity, not an identity, right? So the question Frankly, I think it's a bad question. Can it be taught? Should be replaced. The better question is what is the best way of teaching? Yeah. Right? Which is a totally different set of questions, right? Yeah. So yeah, I'm 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 kind of like slightly bored with this question that has been <laughs> kind of not not no offense, but like the, yeah, the, no, this, no, no. That this field has been kind of, you know, hobbling along with trying to kind of not taking enough of a time to stop and reflect and answer this question so that in the future we might expand and we might accelerate um, as quickly as medicine did in the same time frame, right? They're yeah. sequencing genomes over there. We're still trying to answer silly questions like def- like these things. Yeah. That's, that's my view. Yeah. Mm. And, and with that in mind then, what do you think... Uh, What's your advice to young people who who like the idea of being an entrepreneur or, or think they might have a an idea for a business or a product? What would you say to them? How should they go about trying to? Realize I have my that? Own views about how it should be taught. Indeed, it is how we teach it within our organisation. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, if you are a young person and you want to be taught, I mean, I don't think it's a bad idea to reach out to our organisation, right? Um. Other than that. I think be wary, right? I think be wary of, <laughs> there's a lot of organizations out there, I feel that cost money, right? They separate young people and their money. And, um, and they go, yeah, we'll teach you how to be an entrepreneur. The truth is the greatest entrepreneurs in the world don't teach, right? They just don't. Like you, you can't get them to teach because frankly, yeah. they just, they, they make too much money. Right, <laughs> that's that's the truth, right? And yeah. and so often, I'm not saying all the time, but often you have it's a situation where you kind of have <laughs> you have a group, but you kind of go and you kind of go. It's like playing football, right? And you're kind of on the field and you're getting trampled right to death by the the other team because they're ripping you to shreds on the football field. And then you get to half time and you're panting and bleeding, and you go to the coach. You need to help us. We need help. And the coach says, <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you, like really honest with you. This is my first time coaching. And the truth is, I've never really played football. <laughs> right? And that is where I think a lot of entrepreneurial teaching comes from, right? Like mm. their first time ever teaching it 
is their entrepreneurial game, right? Yeah. And so I'd say if you're a young young person, be weary from where you actually learn this craft. I think probably the best, most direct way of learning it is reading from reading about the greats, right? Yeah. Branson still publishes books, right? Musk, right? Bezos, or probably I mean, Bezos soon to be, I think, published stuff. Gates, yeah. like the, these stories are are well known now, right? So watch the greats, learn from them, um, and then and then try and, and try and find uh, uh, analogies in the in the field you're about to. I mean, that's how I learn. And and how important do you think? Um, or what role do you think that mentorship has to play? Do you think that that's a good strategy for young people to try and find someone, you know, you often hear as well, you should find someone who who already is successful in the industry that you want to um, yeah. break into. Um, what, what's your view on mentorship? It's been important for me. I mean, I think, um, look, entrepreneurship for me, frankly, has been, has been a piano that I could just play, right? I yeah, played from yeah. a very young age and I enjoyed it. I, when I was 21, I called up the airport in Canberra and I called I said can I please speak to Terry Snow and they put me up to his office and I got to his EA and she said do you know Terry <laughs> and I said no I don't but you know I want to be one of the strongest entrepreneurs this country's ever seen right I know Terry is one of the strongest entrepreneurs already and so if he has 15 minutes I'd love to I'd love to meet him to which she kind of laughed and she said you know what no one's ever said that <laughs> so Terry, you know, was kind enough to give me his time and has been a, a, you know, a colleague and friend and supporter um, as I have been a, a supporter of anything he does. I think he's extraordinary. Um, and so began, I guess, you know, a, a, you know, an amazing group of people uh, that, uh, that became mentors for me and eventually colleagues. I must say, like, you know, my, my closest friends now kind of run this business world, right? And... Um, you know, when I came back from the US, I was hanging out with the masks, right? So it's, it's, it was a it was a interesting um, uh, it's an interesting world now where uh, now it is we become teachers, right? So um, and it's time for us to teach, and, and mm. some of us do it better than others, and we, we want to do the right job, right the right thing, I guess. Which you know, this this podcast is part of us uh, giving back when guys like Terry Snow and others were so. Uh, so um, generous when we started. Yeah. Just kind of one last question before I let you go. So you kind of used the analogy earlier about um, people getting trampled on a football field. And I imagine that's what it feels like for a lot of, a lot of um, entrepreneurs and, and small business owners. Um, it, it's often not, not easy and there's no guarantee that your, your hard work and sweat and tears will pay off. So why do you think people should do it? Why, why would you encourage young people to, to get out there and try to start a business? Yeah, because it, it's the most beautiful craft I've ever seen. Right? And it is, <clears throat> I mean, to, to have ideas, to make them real and have them adopted by other people, it is a, a harrowing task, right? Absolutely, mm-hmm. it will be trampled, it will be difficult um, and you will be challenged the entire way through. Um, but it is also the best vehicle I know to understand myself and the world, right? Um, it, it, it gives us voices, right? And the ability to change the world around us, right? And I honestly think this is probably the only, one of the only relevant 
kind of uh, occupations left when you extend uh, time going forward, right? I mean, human beings, novel ideas, right? The ability to kind of have ideas and make those things real, I think will become, you know, as computers do more and more, right? And, and, and technology advances, you know, this is, the, this is something that we have that is uniquely us, uniquely human, right? And so to kind of do it and to do it well and to understand those that actually practice it both as a science and an art, right? It is a glorious, glorious art, right? And um, I think a, a beautiful way to kind of spend one's day. And it's so much fun. It's, it's, it's so mm. adventurous. I read books um, about Dick Smith um, when when I kind of was, was kind of you know young growing up reading about entrepreneurs. I remember... I was very lucky to be on his helicopter where he actually trusted me enough to fly for a little while. And at that time, you know, I was talking to him about various kind of technology businesses that we were involved in and his worldview and things like that. We had a beautiful lunch. And I remember him looking at me and he just said, you know, Sam, this is meant to be an adventure. Like this whole thing is meant to be an adventure, right? And indeed, he's, he's an extraordinary, um, a shiny example of entrepreneurship, right? where it can not only be a place where you can find yourself and, and make a livelihood um, and, and give other people the ability to have a livelihood too, but this whole thing can be just a, a glorious adventure, right? And so that's why I, I think you should embark upon this book. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, that's a great note to finish up on. Dr. Sam Prince, thanks for joining me on Tell Us Your Story. My pleasure. Thank you kindly.